Welcome to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Thank you so much for keeping us company on the Graveyard Shift. It is indeed the witching hour here in Cozy Corner. It is midnight and you are listening to the Late Night Fright. I am Dan and with me as always is my very shape-shifting co-host Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Again, you're looking very shape-shifty tonight. I know. Yes. <laughs> are you you? I don't know. Am I me? I don't know. Ooh. Could have something to do with the movie we're talking about, huh? It just might. It could. So welcome to all of you, wherever you are, and thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, we're so glad you found us. We hope you enjoy yourself and plan a return trip here to Cozy Corner. If you're a return listener, thank you for your continued support. We're glad to have all of you here with us, and if you feel so inclined, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps the show out, and Faith and I both appreciate it very much. So, Faith, on to the continuing business at hand, the unfinished business, the business hiding in plain sight. March is John Carpenter Month here on the Late Night Fright. So far, we've covered The Fog and Escape from New York. Those episodes are available now, along with our episode on his 1978 classic Halloween. Please check those out. We continue our discussion of his 1982 film, The Thing. Part one is available now. Be sure to check that out. We cover the history of the story as well as some of the themes. And tonight we're going to look at the cast and the characters as well as the ending, the effects, and the legacy of this film. A film that was shat upon when it came out (laughs) back in 1982. Uh, In part one we talk about some of the critical reactions to it and it sounds like the reaction to a spinal tap album it's that's <laughs> it's about right isn't it yeah and it's such a shame the quintessential moron movie of the 80s that's Lacking crazy warmth and humanity <laughs> shit sandwich which one of those is, is a spinal tap review <laughs> I'll leave it to you to figure out which one it is so we're gonna get to part two of the thing in just a bit But first, we have a little bit of business, don't we, Faith? Yes, we do. What time is it, Faith? It is time for the news. Time for the news. Goop, Cozy Corner's favorite punk rock lady lawyer, recently started her own line of sexy panties called Legal Briefs. That's briefs with a Z. These sexy little numbers featuring phrases on the behind such as I object, file your motion, and you sued my pants off are available now at the Cozy Corner Courthouse. Good luck, Winnie. Surprised no one has done that before. Well, it's that time of year again, time for the annual Cozy Corner Lentil and White Bean Festival. This year's lineup of talent includes folk artists from in and around Cozy Corner, flatulist Stevie the Sphincter, 
he will perform selections from his new album, The Winds of Change, and Lever, Cozy Corner's hardest band, will be there to open the festival with their version of the Star Spangled Banner. Festival organizers expect this year's event to be a real blowout. Sounds like fun. It does. Well, we don't have any new Gwyneth Paltrow news to report, but the Vagina Scented Candle, called This Smells Like My Vagina, is still available on her website, Goop, and sells for the low, low price of $75. Is that it? Yep. Nothing else? Nope. No. Gwenny, while charming as a mofo in the Marvel movies, has apparently lost her grip on reality? Nope. I think this story speaks for itself. It does. It does indeed. And that is the news. bundle up because we are going back down south way down south to outpost 31 with kurt russell and the gang we're talking about john carpenter's 1982 masterpiece the thing tonight i am dan and i am faith and we will see you on the other side Soon to the King's Palace drive-in off of Sacred Burial Road. A gang of mutant alien surfers have taken over the coast, and only Johnny Skidmarks five-time world drag racing champion can get rid of them. He's not racing for fame. He's not racing for pink slips. He's racing for the fate of the world. From acclaimed French director Dominique Monami, Cody Van Brocklin is Johnny Skidmarks. Coming Friday to the King's Palace Drive-In. Hey guys, it's Bobby. You know, Bobby D'Amato, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. Listen, I was just calling to tell you guys uh, I'm going to be running a little late tonight because I started this new protein program with the new weightlifting regimen I'm on. And uh, listen, it is flowing freely through me. The stink in here is unreal. The stink is from another world. If you catch my drift, yeah, I'm listening to the show. Anyway, guys, uh, I'm going to be running a little late. There it is. Uh, if you guys could just cover for me for a little while, I sure would be appreciative. I'm sorry. I did not want for you to hear that. Anyway, hey, thanks, guys. Great show so far. Hey, see you in a bit, hopefully. Fade in. A starry blackness. From out of the billions, 
the smallest of specks drives slowly forward. It closes, getting larger. Its features becoming more identifiable, a vessel. Flip-flopping. Out of control. Its stern roaring with flame. It passes, its blue fire surging into screen. John Carpenter's The Thing. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. It is 10 minutes after 12. We are 10 minutes into the witching hour here in Cozy Corner. Thank you so much for keeping us company on the graveyard shift. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And that bitch you heard was the intro to the screenplay for The Thing by Bill Lancaster. Here's a little bit of fun trivia on Bill Lancaster. He was the son of Burt Lancaster, and he also wrote the 1976 film The Bad News Bears. That's a film John Carpenter says that he really liked. Very cool. I like it, too. It's a good movie. So I want to get into the screenplay for the character descriptions as we talk about this wonderful cast that we have and some men who were almost cast in the film. Faith, I think this could make for a really fun game of what if. Yes. What do you think? (laughs) Absolutely. Before we get into that, what do you think of this cast? I think it's a great cast. I think these guys feel uh, very real. They don't feel too actor-y or over the top. Movie star-ish. Yeah, it's not too flashy performances. It just feels like you're watching, you know, real men at work. (laughs) Kind of fits in that John Carpenter, uh, you know, MO of straightforward, not Mm -hmm. flashy. Exactly. You know? Um, before we get into it, this is an all male cast. Mm -hmm. Carpenter says he did it for two reasons. He said it had been a while since he had seen a film featuring an all male ensemble. And two, he thought that having a female in the group could possibly create a romantic tension that would take away from the story being told and the dynamic of the whole thing would change. Uh, Mm -hmm. there was, uh, there were females in the thing from another world, uh, different story from this one. But, uh, so, you know, there was precedent for having a female Right. In the story, Kurt Russell added that without females present, the men would have no one to posture for. So you're getting more honest reactions from the characters and an unfiltered look at who these guys are. Carpenter went on to add that this cast and the kinds of men that we're dealing with, they're well-read scientists and for the most part a little bit older. They're, uh, you know, more mature right. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this turns the horror genre on its head because it's usually dumb teenagers getting picked off by the killer in a movie like this. <laughs> exactly. So, Faith, what are your thoughts on the all-male cast and thoughts on the inversion of the horror movie victims? <laughs> no, I'm okay with this being an all-male cast. I think it definitely wouldn't have been the same, uh, you know, story-wise with a female. I think this works just the way it is. I think it works very well. And uh, I think I think it would have been strange any other way, you know? <laughs> I do too. It's not something that I noticed. Me neither. You know, it, you know, look, you know, you, you finish and you look back and you go, oh, there weren't any females mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Except for the voice of Adrian Barbeau. Right. Uh, which the computer's jealous of, you know. Which our computer here is jealous of. <laughs> Check out episode one. Uh, I'm going to take Carpenter at his word mm-hmm. on the casting because Halloween and the fog were definitely female friendly. Right. You know, and, uh, kind of female centric in a lot of ways. And I don't think there was any agenda here other than telling the story. Like this is a neat and unique way to tell this story. And then from a practical standpoint, that might be, you know, at this time would be the kind of person that would go down and would be these guys. Right. You know, exactly. Um, So I, I don't, uh, you know, I have not read anything um, uh, revisionist about this movie. I'm, I'm sure there's something out there about, you know, how dare he, 
you know, right. not cast a woman, but I just think it works so well with it, the story. It really, it really does. And Kurt Russell, I think, nails that about the posturing aspect mm-hmm. of it. You know, right? You're getting it really unfiltered, <laughs> exactly. You know, so. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Here we go. So yes. what we're going to do is we're going to have the uh, description of these characters taken directly from the Bill Lancaster screenplay. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to get into who played them, uh, some possible thoughts on these characters, and then also some fun what-ifs here with who may have you know possibly mm-hmm. played the character. So first one up, McCready, 35, helicopter pilot, likes chess, hates the cold, the pay is good. Mac was played by Kurt Russell. Are you ready for this list here? I am. Actors considered for this role included Clint Eastwood, <laughs> Harrison Ford, Kevin Klein, Nick Nolte, Jeff Bridges, Christopher Walken, Sam Shepard, Tom Atkins, Brian Dennehy, Chris Christopherson, John Hurd, Ed Harris, I'm almost done, Tom Berenger, <laughs> Scott Glenn, Fred Ward, and Peter Coyote. Uh, Peter Coyote, I, I don't know how close any of these guys were to being cast. Harrison Ford, I think, was approached. He did Blade Runner. Peter Coyote would have been unavailable because he was doing E.T. So we talked about that in the first episode. Blade Runner came out the same day as the thing, and E.T. came out two weeks earlier. Uh, a lot of fun stuff that we did with that. Um that's not a list of slouches that I just read. <laughs> no, not at uh, all. I think some would work better than others, but uh, I could see all of them working, you know, in some capacity. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I think some would have been, you know, a, a lot better than others, but I think I think Kurt was that that right choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was the right choice. Let's talk about Kurt Russell in the movie. This is our third time talking about him after <laughs> Death Proof and Escape from New York. Uh on the escape episode, we used the term underrated when talking about him and noted that he's great in any genre, mm-hmm. in any size role, be it lead or supporting. What were you getting from Kurt Russell here? Because I honestly don't think this movie works without him. You said they got the right guy. I, mm-hmm. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> what is it about him that makes this work? Well, no, I agree with you. You know, I don't believe it works without him either. And I'm going to steal something from your notes, too. He, you, you put in your notes, you haven't said it yet, but he grounds this movie. And I think he's so yeah. level-headed with these men. And he's just, I don't know, I feel like you meet him and he doesn't, like I said earlier, he's not flashy. He's not actory. He's just who he is. There's a workman-like quality to his performances. Mm-hmm. And I mean that lovingly. He's, <laughs> you know... He's just in there doing his job. Right. You know, he's all in, but he's not this guy who's going to try and upstage people, you know, or, mm-hmm. or be flashy. That Carpenter uh, vibe. This is why they work so well together, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. So um, he, as you said, that I'm about to say, he, uh, <laughs> he grounds this so much and he does it efficiently. And this mm-hmm. is from my notes here. I think this is why he and Carpenter are a match made in heaven because it's just so straightforward. There's just no frills. You know who this guy is from the moment we meet him. A lot of that has to do with the way Carpenter and screenwriter Bill Lancaster presenting. But then you get to see the paranoia, 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 paranoia uh, <laughs> wash over him. And it would have been really easy. And you were kind of alluding to this. It would have been really easy for him to play this over the top. But he never goes for like the cheap actory move. Mm-hmm. He's always just McCready. <laughs> right? And he feels real. And that's, I think, one of the secrets to why this movie is so great. And it's a big part of the reason why this started getting reevaluated. It has mm-hmm. to do with Kurt Russell's performance. And a lot of people around 92, when the critical reevaluation started, they were looking at Kurt Russell's performance and going, wait, that's really good. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. It really is. <laughs> and speaking of really good, the rest of the cast here is really good. So 
We have uh, Donald Moffat. I'm going to go through the list here, Faith, and feel free to just like any any of these guys just that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Donald Moffat, best remembered for his roles in Regarding Henry and Clear and Present Danger, both with Harrison Ford. I could have been in this movie. Uh, <laughs> Donald Moffat plays Gary, and that's Gary with two R's. Uh, in the script, Gary is described as 46, the station manager, stiff ex-army officer, wears a handgun. Other actors considered for the role were the Lee Van Cleef. I have the in all caps there. Uh, Jerry Orbach, best remembered for Law and Order. Kevin Conway, Richard Mulligan, and Powers Booth. Again, all the guys considered are great as well. So, you know. You know, I really liked him. And and also, I wonder if he was in the movie Bobby watched. The thong stiff. <laughs> yeah, he could have been, right? Could have been. No, I just had to. No, I, I liked him for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. Just... He, he passed away. It wasn't too long ago Donald Moffat passed away, and he was always so so great mm-hmm. and, and had that thing about him, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, this is – I thought he was really great. Uh, the Diabetes Man and Quaker Oats Spokesman, <laughs> cowboy-turned-actor Wilford Brimley plays Blair. Uh, let's see. His screenplay description, 50, senior biologist, edgy, inquisitive, overworked. Uh, Carpenter wanted to cast Donald Pleasance in this role, but he was unavailable due to a scheduling conflict. And the decision was made to go with an unknown, as they said, someone who could disappear for, uh, for a while on screen and you wouldn't be thinking of them or what they were doing. So that's, that's a good, it's a good yeah, idea, right? It really is. He was the only cast member who didn't have a problem with the animal innards that were used on set. So it's probably a good thing that they cast him. <laughs> and he was, he was a cowboy. Uh, he also said of the film, I thought the thing stunk. The instant Carpenter said action, I knew I was in deep water. He thought the film was too violent and gory. Nevertheless, I do think he is great here, and he's one of the standouts. What did you think of the Quaker Oats man in this? Because he's he's kind of, is he a standout for you? He is. I mean, first off, I can't disagree more with him with this, what he thinks about this film. Yeah. But uh, no, needless to say, I, I think he was great, especially when he starts to, kind of lose it and has the gun again like i keep saying with the people being actor he doesn't you don't yeah. look at him like oh wow look at this kind yeah. of over dramatic performance it just it feels real i want to back up to the scene with him before that when he's looking at the computer model mm-hmm. because uh we, we didn't make this point in the first episode let's make it now within less than three years the thing if it gets to civilization is going to take over everything right. so blair's uh, Blair's thing here is right. Like they can't let this out. Right. He has an idea that someone's infected. So yep. this is kind of where the paranoia starts. Exactly. And, but the scene that he has when he's looking at the computer model is, and it's all on his face and in his eyes mm-hmm. and, and he, he's stone faced in that scene. That's a great moment. It really that is. That sells the next moment when he goes crazy mm-hmm. and then sells when, well, wait a second. Then you don't know if he's, you know, human or not. <laughs> right. So he kind of has the biggest, arc Mm -hmm. in the movie he shows maybe the most emotion too if you think about it yeah so he does that performance is really great uh the he sets the stakes as -hmm. it is for you can't let this thing out right we you know we we can't let it out so kind of plays then into uh you know max game of chess that we're Mm going to talk a little bit about so joel uh polis appears as fuchs he is described as fuchs 25 sensitive intelligent unassuming an assistant biologist he's uh blair's uh, right-hand man and for me re-watching this he jumped out for some reason maybe because he's the most sensitive of the group i, I don't know he, he's a little different from the from the rest of them mm-hmm. and by sensitive i just mean he's uh 
a little more introverted and, and uh, uh, soft, you True. know. Yeah. And uh, like I said, he, he kind of became my favorite watching this. And he's the one I really didn't want anything bad to happen to because he seemed to be even tempered and kind of have a handle or at least was trying to get a handle on everything yeah so very true what did what did you think of fuchs any did you think one way or the other about it wasn't my favorite but i didn't hate him i enjoyed him <laughs> yeah and everybody's great you know? <laughs> they are dr copper 45 professional a decent man a good doctor he's portrayed here by richard dysart richard dysart would find fame in the 80s on the series L.A. Law, and he also has a brief appearance as the barbed wire salesman in Back to the Future Part 3. He was also great as the antagonist in the 1985 Clint Eastwood Western Pale Rider. That's kind of a supernatural Western. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, This character has a nose ring, and it just reinforces that these guys are weird. Now, it's not that he has a nose ring. It's that it's 1982. Right. And he has a nose ring. That's a little <laughs> weird to me. You know. Yeah, I was noticing that. <laughs> right? It's 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 a little strange. And these guys, I think it just backs up my uh my hypothesis. These guys are weird. Yeah. You know, it's the kind of person that would go down there. Exactly. You know. All right, moving on. Palmer, 27, second string chopper pilot, cracked mechanic, long hair, slight 60s acid damage. <laughs> David Clinton plays Palmer, and he's another one of my favorites in this cast. Uh, this is a role that Jay Leno, Gary Shandling, and Charles Fleischer, Roger Rabbit, read for. Um, I could see any of them in it, but I really do like Clinton here. He seems to be the comic relief, and he has my favorite lines in the film uh, when he says Chariots of the Gods. That's referencing the book about alien <laughs> visitors to Earth's past by Eric Von Daniken as a favorite of viewers of Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. And they own South America, another reference to ancient alien theory, and I love that they put that in the movie considering what we're dealing with here. Right. <laughs> uh, he feels very real to mm-hmm. me, having known a few people like this. Uh <laughs> bong or pipe ever present in hand uh and i'm wondering how much dope he brought with him down there because <laughs> you know i realize we're only seeing him over like a day or you know a couple of days uh-huh. but he seems to you know have quite a bit with him <laughs> what do you think of uh what do you think of david clinton as palmer i really liked him he was one of my favorites as well in this he he really does have the best lines in the movie i think that <laughs> i think it's really interesting that jay leno read for this uh, i know you know uh that was a thing back in the day stand-up comics you know they were always you know, giving them a shot, you mm-hmm. know, um, I would like to see Jay in that. I would just see what he would have done with it, you know, in this alternate, in an alternate universe. Yeah, it would have been really interesting to see him in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can picture it. So, uh, let's see, uh, Nalls, 22, the cook, bright, black, irreverent, but kind hearted roller skates. Nalls is portrayed by TK Carter and he is a uh, standup comedian. Uh, Norris, 44, stocky, rugged looking, a geophysicist, an incipient heart condition portrayed by Charles Hallahan. And I could have seen Charles Cipher, Sheriff Brackett from the Halloween movies in this role. Mm-hmm. Could you have seen that? Yeah, I could, I could have seen uh, that. Bennings, 38, a meteorologist, dutiful and old pro. He's portrayed by Peter Maloney. And I think he has a single creepiest moment in the <laughs> film when he looks at the group and lets out the scream in mid-transformation. Oh, yeah. Look at, with married with the scream. <laughs> by the way, let's get into this. This scream there... Um, what did you notice about that scream besides how unearthly it sounded? Did you, did you hear different layers to the scream? When yeah. You, yeah. That's the sound of pain of all the beings that it has assimilated. That's creepy. It is creepy. <laughs> it is creepy. Clark 24, the dog handler likes it here. Good at his job. He's played by the great Richard Mauser. 
who really wanted this role. And again, this is a guy who bonds better with animals than people in Antarctica of all places. So yeah, they're weird. Uh, Windows was originally known as Sanchez in the script, described as 21, the radio operator hates it here, <laughs> lousy at his job, uh, kind of the antithesis of Clark. Windows is played by Thomas G. Waits, and he also has some pretty good comedic moments <laughs> and some great reactions in the movie as well, yes. too, to what's going on around him. So not a bad cast, right? Not a bad cast at all. That's <laughs> all of them, right? Is that all of them? I think so. <laughs> Maybe we forgot somebody. Oh, I think we did. I think we did. So finally, (laughs) making his film debut is Keith David as Childs. Childs is described as 33, 64, 250, black mechanic, can be jolly but don't mess. Keith David has been described on this show as being more awesome than raw chocolate chip cookie dough. Do you do you agree with that assessment of Keith David? I can agree with that. I think he should start marketing himself <laughs> as that. Uh, he won this role over a lot of my all-time favorites. I'm going to read this list of names that he beat out for this. Bernie Casey. Bernie Casey. Love Bernie Casey. Isaac Hayes. Uh, Carpenter had just worked with him on Escape from New York. Jeffrey Holder. He played a villain in Live and Let Die, the James Bond film. Uh, he was a dancer, very intimidating presence, a uh, sweetheart of a guy, from what I understand. He would have been great here. Uh, Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters. Uh, we loved Ernie in Ghostbusters, yes, we didn't did. we? And finally, a guy uh, he beat out for it was in serious consideration for this. Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed himself, <laughs> or Grief Karga these days from The Mandalorian. <laughs> um Childs and Mac have a little thing going on throughout the movie that carries all the way to the end. He's less even-tempered. I put that in quotes than Mac. (laughs) And this is one of the best performances in the movie, which is saying something considering this list of names that we just, you know, just mentioned, the company he's keeping. And this is also his first film, if you can believe that. What do you think of Keith David and Childs? First, you would never know that this was his first movie if no one told you because he's that good. And he's one of those people that I kept waiting to see on screen because I loved, you know, I just loved his presence so much. And um, I don't know. He was just so good. I think the difference of him and Mac just worked so well together. Yeah. You know, and they're set up, you know, it's if you've seen the movie, you know, and you're watching it, it's set up there. The yep. the you know, and they get into it throughout mm-hmm. the movie, but it's set up early. <laughs> yes. You know. Uh, he's great. He is more awesome than raw chocolate chip cookie dough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all there is to it. So, well, this segs us nicely into the ending, one of the more famous endings, I believe, in moviedom and brings up something we haven't talked about yet with Carpenter. We mentioned this in the first episode. So at the end of this film, Childs and Mac are left alive. We think one of them may be infected, maybe both. We don't know. As part of the horror of this piece, we're back at square one. We don't know who to trust. That's the beauty of this movie. <laughs> Um, first question, who do you think is infected or are either or either neither? Do you think one of them may be infected? If so, who possibly, I mean, you know, people, people claim they think Childs is because he doesn't have any breath showing. They think gasoline's in the bottle. They also, I saw something too. He shows up in different clothes. He does. And what does the thing do? And there's do? a jacket next to him with the, the preceding scene when you see the last time you see him before that, there's a blue colored jacket mm-hmm. next to him. Yeah. So I kind of leaned toward Childs, you know, for a few reasons. And then there was another thing, too. There's kind of like for, maybe foreshadowing a little bit with uh, with Mac. Kind of. So he plays chess and he loses. Yes. 
And what does he do? <laughs> well, he doesn't like the game, so he blows it up. Right. Right. Cheating. You cheating, bitch. You cheating, bitch. So yeah. how does this movie end? <laughs> and, he, and he puts the uh, he puts the whiskey right. into the machine. Into he the machine. puts the whiskey into the alien. I buy that. Right. Yeah. That's why, where I'm at with it. Yeah. And, and then the, why don't we just sit here a while and see what happens. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I lean that Childs is infected. Yeah, that's yeah, where I'm Because it's too weird him running off and, mm-hmm. and all the shenanigans. And yeah. You get the uh, the point of view shot through the through the camp before mm-hmm. he kind of runs off. You like feel like something's stalking in right. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think. Uh, yeah. I think. I think he's infected. Now, with all that said, does it matter? No, it it doesn't matter. I guess. I mean, I think the movie. Makes it what it is for not knowing and <laughs> not mattering, you know. Right. And I read that John Carpenter, you know, he knows who it is, but he's, he's just not, not saying. Gonna tell us, but that's I okay. don't want to know. I don't want to know either. I don't want to know. Like I said, it, it adds to the mystery of this movie. So. Yeah. So that's all you're going to get on the ending here. We don't have a, a definitive <laughs> take on it. Um, it really doesn't matter to me. It's nope. one of those fun parts of it. So, I started. We started looking back at the films that we've covered from him: Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, and now this. And there seems to be this running theme of non-resolution. Mm-hmm. Michael's body's missing at the end of Halloween. 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 <laughs> the ghosts reappear at the end of the fog. Snake destroys the tape at the end of Escape from New York. We don't know what happens with the summit or to him. And here we don't know if these guys are infected. We don't know what's going to happen to them. We don't know if they're going to survive the night. Very doubtful. No man's land is around them and the temperature's mm-hmm. dropping. Uh, we don't know. Maybe they get rescued. We don't know. And I think that's where the real horror in his early work comes from, the not knowing. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I want was, was this something you had noticed? Because this hit me when I started thinking about the thing and the endings to um, The Fog. And mm-hmm. I went, and then I went, well, wait, he does this in Halloween, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, it's been a while since I've seen Christine. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see, like, what the... You know, if this is the thing that runs through his right. work. But, um, yeah, the circle's not completed here no. on these, in these early films. No, and I think that that's just such a a clever thing. And at least for these movies, you know, that we've been talking about, he does it so well. It works so well. You're never, you're never sitting there wondering, man, I really wish <laughs> I would have known what happened. I think he does it so good that that's what makes the movie so much greater you know i think it keeps with that streak of nihilism carpenter Mm -hmm. has about him i really do uh like i said it's not something i thought about until i went wait a second (laughs) wait a second yeah these endings aren't really endings Endings, exactly. yeah it keeps going it's like the horror keeps going you know which is very nihilistic yeah right so uh one final bit before we take a break the special effects here by rob botine he was all of 22 when he did these if you can believe that and there are times in this see if you agree with me here this feels like a kid in a candy store putting these together like i get to i get to do this all right (laughs) um effects here are really good they will make Mm -hmm. your skin crawl all these years later a lot of the criticism of the movie at the time when it came out was that it was too gory and the gore and effects offset the psychological tension. Some of that, as we said, even comes from the cast. Um, what do you think of the effects here? And do you think that they hurt or help the story? I love the effects. I think I think the movie, I mean, it could have worked without them because of the psychological aspect of it. But I love that they're here because they're so much fun and they're creepy. And so I don't, I don't think it hurts it. I think it. I think it helps it. Yeah. Because it's another layer to the to the horror, the body exactly. horror, the assimilation. Like, ooh, 
that's going to happen to you if exactly. this thing gets you and that looks like it's going to hurt. Right. And it's and it's gross, but it's it's not gross being over the top. Right. Because there's a there's a certain alien quality to it, but the innards and stuff is pretty is pretty right. gory. But um, and I feel it's necessary though to really explain what mm-hmm. this is. But I never feel it's it's gratuitously exploitive. Right. Just to gross you out. And I think it works at its at its best when you're doing the blood scene because it builds up to that. You know, yeah. like that's here's here's what might happen to you. You know, during these blood tests, and it's like. That's that's really creepy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they're fantastic. I think mm-hmm. they're landmark special effects. And the thing is, we're talking thirty eight years now. I know. You know from the time we're recording this, they still work. I know. You know, and Carpenter's <laughs> only thing was like, well, we got to make sure to light it low so you can't see the the strings right. as it is. You know, <laughs> it's it's really amazing though. I really really appreciate the effects. I'm not mm-hmm. a big gore hound as I've said on the show before, but right. I love watching this stuff. It almost isn't that hypnotic, gory in a way. You know? yeah. it's, it's weird. I mean, it is gory, but it's not making you sick kind of gore. That makes yeah. any sense at all. <laughs> Uncomfortable enough to, to make you go, ooh. Right. You know? <laughs> so, all right. Well, ooh, that's a good point to uh, take a break. <laughs> so we're going to take a very short break. I and mean, when we get back, we're going to wrap up our discussion of The Thing. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> The Cozy Corner Travel Agency, for all of your vacation needs. Whether you're going to the Big Island or to the 7th level of hell, the Cozy Corner Travel Agency has you covered. The Cozy Corner Travel Agency. Don't be a dick. Use us to book your next vacation. The Cozy Corner Travel Agency. Located on Sacred Burial Road, in the shopping center across the street from the King's Palace Drive-In Theater. The Cozy Corner Travel Agency. Don't be a dick. Let them book your next vacation. Madame Hill's Juju Emporium, specializing in amulets, talismans, and spell books. Madame Hill's Juju Emporium, located on Sacred Burial Road next to King's Drive-In Theater. Madame Hill's Juju Emporium. Juju for you, you. back to the late night fright right here on wkmf cozy corner public radio it is 12 40 thank you for keeping up with us here on the graveyard shift <laughs> keeping us company it's yes. getting late it's getting late we're out of coffee i'm dan <laughs> and i am the thing she might be she's very <laughs> shape-shifty tonight we're uh we're wrapping up part two of our discussion of john carpenter's the thing so faith we 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 got into this a little bit in part one, we got into a lot. Actually, the the awful reviews 
for this. Uh, the quintessential moron movie of the 80s. And I went the step further and just called it a shit sandwich, <laughs> like, like the Spinal Tap album. This thing was so reviled when it came out, it started getting reevaluated a bit later, right around 92-ish. And it's now considered one of the most influential, if not the best horror films of all time. Um, I can see where it's kind of influenced by Alien. You can see that group of people, mm-hmm. kind of something going on. Can you see that? A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. Uh, but I think this is its own thing. Yeah. Not to be funny. Yeah, it's its own. But no uh, offense, I think it's, I mean, better. I, I do too, actually. Okay. I really do. Um, but, uh, you know, it was getting compared a lot to Alien at the time, mm-hmm. you know, saying, you know, you know, same thing as Alien, but Alien did it better. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I no, think it's, I don't think so. I think it's a much different beast. Yeah. Literally <laughs> from Alien. Uh, this really, though, this really hurt him personally and professionally when this happened. So let's go through this. He had a three-picture deal with Universal. It got taken away from him because this movie underperformed and because it was just so reviled when it came out. You know, they're like, yeah, so crazy. We, we don't want to get in business with you. <laughs> and again, you know, he was never the, the critical darling. Right. You know, he has a touch of the nihilist name, which Hollywood doesn't really like. Um, let's see. And he himself has asked the question as to how different his career would have been if the thing had been a big hit. And that's not taking anything away from the movies he made afterwards, which he says he really enjoyed. But it does make make you wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a ways to go with him uh, this month here on the show. And we'll eventually get to the rest of his filmography. So maybe it's too early to say it. But do you think this might be his masterpiece? I think so. Uh, I think it is. I I think this is the top of the mountain. Yeah. I really do. And that's not taking anything away from any of the other movies we're going to be talking about, which I really enjoy. Oh, absolutely. Really enjoy and really enjoy the movies before this. This just, for whatever reason, this is boom. Here it is. This is like a master class on on all aspects of science fiction and horror and all of this stuff. Um, How different do you think his career would have been? I mean, you know, we played What If with the cast. Let's play What If... With Carpenter, do you think it, it, you know, you know, what direction do you think it would have gone in? I don't know. I mean, there's really no, there's no telling. I mean, like yeah. you said, there's. I mean, we talked about the list of guys, you know, and uh-huh. Carpenter is usually on the list somewhere, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, maybe it's possible he would have had that big commercial, you know, right. breakthrough, you know, outside of Halloween, outside of the right. horror genre, and he'd be like. You know, like you know, John Carpenter's the greatest thing. This multi-Oscar winner, which I don't True. think means anything to him. No, but still, like there would have been some validation. Mm-hmm. You know, not saying that there wasn't, but not on. You know, it's kind of like boom, and then you go down the mountain. Right. You know. <laughs> so uh, this movie very influential. The influence can still be felt today. Quentin Tarantino cites Carpenter as a major influence. Uh, we covered Reservoir Dogs on the show. He says that was influenced by this film, as well as The Hateful Eight, which even has Kurt Russell in it. (laughs) It's set in one location, and it's snowing. So Robert Rodriguez made Planet Terror, which plays like a John Carpenter movie. We're going to get to that on the show eventually. Uh, Guillermo del Toro nailed it. I have so much trouble saying his name. I think I've mangled it three or four times on the show. Congratulations. Let's see if I can do it again. Guillermo del Toro calls The Fog his favorite film. Uh, Danny Boyle, Edgar Wright, James Wan, the list goes on. And even Hans Zimmer has said that Carpenter influences his movie scores. And we need to add that uh, Stranger Things by the Duffer Brothers. We said it, it plays like a John Carpenter, yeah. Stephen King, Steven Spielberg baby. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, this is the first of what he calls his apocalypse. 
trilogy, the other films being Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, Carpenter is a fan of the works of H.P. Lovecraft, and we're going to be getting into him a little more as we get into Prince of Darkness and also with our upcoming review of the new Nicolas Cage film Color Out of Space based on the story by Lovecraft. And we're <laughs> anytime we get to talk about Nicolas Cage, we get excited. Oh, yes. We get excited. So, uh, <laughs> so as we get into those ideas, we're going to tie them back into the thing. So we just want you to know we're aware that this is part of the Apocalypse Trilogy. We're aware of the Lovecraft influence. I didn't want to get into that here. I feel it's better with Prince of Darkness. Mm -hmm. And then we can kind of move forward and kind of look at it. Um, There's just so much to talk about (laughs) with this movie. I know. There's so much to talk about. Um, So let's get a final question before we get into favorites. I got two final questions. Do you feel this movie is almost 40 years old now? Mm Uh, do you feel it has a timeless quality to it? I think so. Yes. Does it feel like a movie that came from 1982? No. It really doesn't. Does <laughs> doesn't. It? No. It doesn't feel dated. That even the you know the computer technology obviously is going to look dated, but still. Yeah, but I, I feel like you you could have made a movie like that today and tried to f- not make it seem kind of old school looking. But I mean, you know, I think it works. <laughs> Regardless what year you're watching it in. Yeah, it just feels like this moment in time. It's yeah. it really, the story is timeless. The paranoia and all mm-hmm. that, as we talked about, you know, that doesn't have an expiration date. Uh, I really do feel like, you know, this is what we act like. And this is what we get into. You see it today. Right. Uh, uh, we don't talk politics on the show. And I'm not going to talk politics now. But you see it with the division with people. With You see these guys get divided. These very intelligent, smart people right. get divided. Um, yeah. You know, Mac kills somebody and without a second thought, well, that guy was human, you know, okay, him or me. Exactly. And, and Mac's the most even tempered out of the group. There you go. I know. (laughs) But you, but you see it. And like we said, you know, great art, you can, you can project anything onto it. And, uh, but this really, it, there's a timeless quality to this, not only to the look and feel of it, but to the characterizations here, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's chilling. It's really, it really is it not just not the monster, the way that it just the machine breaks down. Exactly. You know, and how quickly it breaks down is the <laughs> right? thing, too. So um, we talked about this uh, in the history section in episode one. If you haven't heard that, check it out. Uh, Joseph Campbell wrote the uh, wrote the was it John, John Campbell, not Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell is the, the mythologist. Uh, John Campbell Jr. wrote Who Goes There? That's the story that this is based on. Uh, there's a possibility of another film based a little more closely on that book. How do you feel about that? This will be the fourth uh, big screen adaptation after 2011's uh, the prequel, just called The Thing, and 1951's Thing from Another World. Do you have any thoughts on that one way or the other? I'm okay with it, I guess. I mean, I feel like this movie, the way it's told, is just so great. <laughs> so, you know, it. I feel like, I don't know, I, I guess I'm fine with it in the long run. What about you? This uh, this is one of my favorite movies, so mm-hmm. this might be a little bias. Um, right. I don't think they're going to top this film. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so if they're going back to the source material, I really don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in the minority with hardcore Thing fans here. I really don't have a problem with the 2011 prequel film. I feel like that was a very respectful film mm-hmm. of this one and is the best movie it could be you could get into it with the CGI effects and all that, but right. that's that's a different argument. That's a fine movie. It's okay. Uh, it didn't piss me off. <laughs> so whatever. This movie's always going to be, you know, what it is. Exactly. And it's always going to be there at the top of the heap, right? For me, 
uh, yeah, I think for a too. lot of other people too. This really is top five favorite horror film of mine. Yeah, it's like I said, out not just horror. It's probably in top ten favorite movies. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also on that list too. It's just so good, and yeah. the more you like, so the more you watch it, you notice new stuff. I feel like it just gets better every time you watch it. Yeah. It really, it really does. So let's get into, uh, as we do here on the show, we get into favorites. Uh, Faith, it, I know this is this is kind of a blanket like all of it, and it really is, you know, not being funny with this one. But uh, did you have any favorite moments that you would like to talk about or expand upon? We have one of the same favorite scenes, if you want to go ahead and tell everyone That's what it is. That's the blood test. <laughs> the blood, I mean, the blood test scene, and we didn't really talk about it. I, I don't know why we would even need to talk about it. Like it's the, probably the most famous scene from this. Exactly. You know, it's so simple with the setup mm-hmm. and uh, chilling and and all shot close up and and the tension. It makes you feel like you're in there with them. Yeah, waiting and, for something to happen. And you're wait. That's the thing. You're waiting for something <laughs> to happen. And that kid's is tension. And that's what <laughs> Carpenter does so well. That's that's a great scene. What else? Uh, and again, we could sit here and talk about it. Like we talked about the shower scene in Psycho a bit. We could sit here and break it down. There's things on YouTube if you really want to get into you know, how it was put together, which is very simply, right. too, by the way. Just watch it. That's the thing. <laughs> Just watch it. You, you'll know. <laughs> uh, what else? What I else, like yeah. when Doc has his hands bit off and is it Norris? He starts to transform. Yeah. I love that scene. Um, for some odd reason. Did, I... did you read the trivia on that? They actually had an amputee with fake arms. Oh, really? And then they close it and pulled off the arms. <laughs> yeah, that's why it looks so real. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> And he was wearing a Richard Dysart, Dr. Copper mask. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you go and look, you can kind of see it. That's but, pretty cool. Yeah. And I went, that's. I have to go back and I never watch thought, that. I, I never that. thought about it like, I wonder how they did that. It's like movie magic, you know? <laughs> right. Movie magic. Yeah, I didn't know that. Now I'm going to have to go watch that, that scene again. No, for some reason, I really liked the wind. <laughs> the sound design, yeah. yeah we, just that. Yeah. But specifically, the, I mean, that wind, it just, I don't know. It just added to that creep level for yeah. me. I talked about an episode, uh, part one of this, just the questions. What happened to the Norwegians? That whole thing. Yeah. You know, so many unanswered questions. Um, speaking of Norwegians, the two-headed, <laughs> two-faced yes. thing that they find. By the way, that is based on the design of uh, Robert Picardo, who's an actor on a Star Trek Voyager. It's a fun bit of trivia I found out. But uh, the scene where they put that on the autopsy table, and they reveal it. Mm-hmm. Might be my favorite scene in the movie outside of the blood test because of the way he shoots it. Yeah. You don't see the th- the full reveal until the end. He keeps it on their reactions to it, yeah. which I think is great. And then you see it and you go, oh, God, <laughs> right? what is this? And then you cut back to them and their reactions are so real that that Donald Moffat in particular kind of gagging at the smell. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it stunk in there or not, but his reaction to right. it just sells it exactly you know it's it's amazing um that's just very efficient filmmaking no, no. he shows everybody's reaction what is this awful thing it builds up and then you look at it and you go oh god <laughs> you know? exactly and then you're getting wilford brimley pulling out the innards you know it's yeah. it, it's horrific but it, uh, it really is. the way he directs that is one of my favorite things in this movie yeah so and, many great and just things. again we, we keep saying it just the whole feel of being you know you feel very immersive in this movie you know it's it's so well done how you feel like you are literally in this movie which just contributes to the horror right you know you're not a bystander here you're you're an active participant in a lot of ways (laughs) right and it's amazing and i think a lot of that has to do with kurt russell's performance Mm -hmm. you can't give enough credit to kurt russell yeah you know 
it seems like he's not doing much, but boy, he is he's he's playing. He's so good. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite outside of uh, Keith David and Kurt Russell? Because we seem to really like them. Did you have a favorite performance or, or actor? Uh, I like, man, I can't even think of their names now. I don't know. I really like Doc for some reason. He's solid. He's I, As he's described, he's he's a good guy. He's in, But again, I liked all of them because I feel like they all just filled that their role so well in this. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to pick. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea? Uh, we didn't have this in the notes, but. This seems to be one of the fun things with the movie. So many questions. Yeah. There's no definitive answer because we don't know who gets infected mm-hmm. first. It's not even one of the actors. It was uh, somebody else on the set. Right. So Carpenter could throw you off the scent. Mm-hmm. Do you have an idea who got infected first? Uh, or, or let me go back. Does it matter to you? who no, got infected? it doesn't. Matter. Yeah. I personally think it's Norris. That's just me. But right. um, yeah, it doesn't, Again, it doesn't too, matter. I almost like to watch this movie and not think that sometimes because it adds to the horror and creep to me. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, we don't know. So why sit there? <laughs> right. Think too right. hard about it because it's it's already right. so creepy. And I like the stakes here, too. They have to kill this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah, the whole chess thing is, is for me, is is where it's at. Yeah. Mac, you hit the nail on the head. He, <laughs> he pours a drink in. He doesn't like the game. Cheating bits. Nope. Boom. That's exactly what he does. He blows up the <laughs> damn camp. Exactly. At the expense of himself. Possibly, we don't know. There's so many questions. <laughs> this gets my highest recommendation. Mine too. I can't. I can't recommend this highly enough. It, this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, and it gets better every time I see it. I know. You know? Do you think? I know so many people love this movie. Do you think this movie is almost a little bit underrated in a way to people who aren't huge fans of it? Possibly. I think this is probably his most. With Halloween, probably his most you know admired movie. Mm-hmm. This movie's probably more admired than Halloween in like the film circles. Right. Um, still, I would say it's probably a little underrated. I know a lot of people who haven't seen this mm-hmm. and and need to correct that immediately. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know when people go, oh, it's pretty good. I'm like, pretty good. Like, <laughs> it's pretty good. No, it's well, you're wrong if you think it's pretty. Good. Are you telling me Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys is just pretty good? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I love it. I love. I love this movie. You can tell his love for this is coming through. He thought he had missed. Uh, it was a misstep. There was an eighty-five interview I heard where he said, "I didn't take the audience into account." But the audience, ten years later, really started to find nope. it. This movie had a life on home video. Thank God for home video. <laughs> it kind of became cult. It's a cult film, and yeah. uh, it's really well regarded now. And I think it could always be more well regarded because this is one of my favorite movies. I, Mine too. I really. Love it. I don't know what that says about me, but uh, <laughs> I know what it says about you. You're weird. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, maybe you're weird with me, I guess. <laughs> I host this show with you. Yeah, baby, I'm weird. <laughs> well, it is getting to be that time. Uh, our good friend Bobby D'Amato is standing in the doorway with a stack of albums underneath his arms. I hope he's feeling better. Bobby is coming. Oh, look, Faith, he's putting on the headphones. Hey, you guys. Yeah, listen, I'm going to try not to pop anything off here because uh, it's pretty bad. You know, the protein, whey protein powder and, uh, you know, eating a lot of, uh, you know, getting my roughage. But just really been up in the protein because I've been bulking a little bit. Got to get them hammer curls back going. Kind of <laughs> let myself go during the winter. But you know how that is, right? I am really sorry. I did not mean for you guys to hear that. That was disgusting. Anyway, uh, watch the thing last night. That scared the hell out of me. 
scared the ever-loving bejesus out of me. I don't even know if I'm me right now. Does that make any sense <laughs> to you guys? I'm questioning the nature of my reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I might not be me either. Yeah, Bobby, I uh, I can definitely tell you that I am not me. <laughs> yeah, you guys are funny. Ha 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 ha. I'm sorry. I did not mean to do that either. I'm sorry. I apologize. Goodness hey, gracious. do we have like a like one of them uh, edit buttons or whatever? We don't have an edit button, do we? No, Bobby, we no. Uh, we don't have an edit button. Your fart is forever out there in the uh, ether for all to hear. I'm really glad you enjoyed the movie though, and uh, it really scared you, huh? Oh yeah, I'm questioning my reality right now as we speak. I'm also questioning why this keeps coming out of me. Anyway, listen, guys, for I like stink you guys out the studio. Today. Great show, great movie. Listen, I will see you guys on the flip everything. Faith, you got anything that you really want to hear? Again, surprise me. I like when you surprise me. What you got? I'm gonna play you a little Denise Williams free for you tonight. I'm gonna dedicate that to you, Faith. Okay. <laughs> That one right there was very free, too. I hope we do not do that on my show because, you know, farting is the kind of thing you do after the sex, not during it, you know, or before it. It's after the sex. You don't climb the mountain and go ahead and let it go. Anyway, hey, guys, good seeing you. See you on the flip. Thanks, guys. Always a trip. Always. It must just be a lot of hot air, too. I don't smell anything. That's good. So, Well, Faith, do you have anything you'd like to add about John Carpenter's The Thing? I think that's it for me. What about you? That's it for me. Um, it's wonderful. I, I think it's a masterpiece. Just watch the movie. Absolutely. There it is. Uh, well, Carpenter Month is going to continue next week with Christine from 1983 and Starman from 1984. Two films very different from one another. Uh, Starman, very different in his filmography. I'm looking forward to talking about these two, especially Starman. It's going to be fun. Uh, Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen are in that. And uh, Keith Gordon and Alexandra Paul are in Christine. So it should be a lot of fun, too. we got a horror should movie be. and a sci-fi romance. I'm ready. <laughs> so, Faith, it feels like it's that time, doesn't it? It does. It really feels like it's that time. And if we listen closely enough, maybe, just maybe, we can hear the music. Do you hear anything? A little bit. You hear it? I hear the, the stirrings of something. Ah, Faith, there it is. Yes, indeed. There it is. The sweet sounds that bring us... Into the close of the show. Thank you all again for tuning in. Uh, make sure you check out the first part of the thing if you if you did not check that out already, and make sure to check out the fog and Escape from New York as well as Halloween. All of those episodes are available wherever podcasts can be found. Thank you for spending a little bit of your time with us here in Cozy Corner on a late night fright. We know you have a lot of options as to how you spend your time. Thank you for spending it with us. We appreciate it, and we hope that you come back. Faith, it feels like it's that time, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Let's do it. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep keep your your monster monster on a leash. We'll see you on the other side. And hey, if you got any question as to whether or not the guy or girl next to you is human, they're probably not. A lot of that going around these days. (laughs) We'll see you next time.